Working Class Audio is brought to you by Roswell Pro Audio, Gearsluts.com, The License Lab, Audio-Technica, and Universal Audio. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 186. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 186 you're listening to. My guest today is Aaron Youngberg, who owns Swing Fingers Studio. That's outside of Fort Collins, Colorado. We're going to talk to Aaron all about the building of that studio. He's also a musician and tours quite a bit. And so we're going to talk about the touring, the family that he has, as well as the studio. Aaron Youngberg coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. All right, let's talk about human connections for a minute. And I'm not talking about dating. I'm talking about networking. Um, Remember, I've I've talked about this in the past, and I'll just reiterate coffee. Coffee plays a very important role in networking because, first of all, a lot of people drink coffee. And if you don't drink coffee, tea is generally available as well. So getting together with people to have coffee to make new connections or kind of reconnect with old connections can be a great thing. It can be done in the daytime and you know you don't have to do a, a big trek out for beers at night uh, to make a connection with people, but uh, that can be fun too. But anyways, coffee and uh, lunchtime or breakfast time is great. You can also buy people buy people meals. I know that Jack and Dino had talked about he will meet with people over food. If they buy him a meal, he will meet with them and give them all the advice that uh, he has. So just remember, if you get out of the house, you can really do some great good for your career. Now, remember, it's not just meeting potential clients, it's meeting uh, manufacturers. You know, it could be uh, meeting somebody uh, from a plug-in company or a hardware company. It could be meeting a potential client or, you know, somebody that you just want to get to know uh, who is connected to some other people that you want to know. And, you know, you can be transparent about it and just say, hey, man, I'd like to do some networking with you. Could we have a cup of coffee? Uh, Can I buy you breakfast and uh, maybe pick your brain a bit? So that can always be a good thing. Now, you could stay at home and post on Facebook all day, but I think you're going to get a lot further with people if you uh, meet them in person. Because when it comes time for a recommendation or a uh, word of mouth thing that we always talk about, uh, they're going to remember you. And they're going to think, oh, that's right. I just had coffee with so-and-so, and they would be perfect for that gig. So remember, take someone out for coffee. I want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Gearsluts.com who help make the Working Class Audio Podcast possible. Uh, we sponsor the subforum on Gearsluts known as Audio Life. So if you're tired of talking about gear and you want to talk about something completely different, head on over to the Audio Life subforum. It's a great companion to the Working Class Audio Podcast. Also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Universal Audio. They also help make the WCA podcast possible. And, uh, you know, we are always talking about the Apollo and the UAD ecosystem. Great stuff. But don't forget that Universal Audio still makes some fantastic analog classics like the LA-2A and the 1176. And they make some great channel strips like the uh, LA-610 Mark II and the 6176. And they still make just standalone mic breeze like the 4710 and the 2610. So you can find those over at uaudio.com. Uh, that's under analog hardware, of course. So uh, that's it. 
It's time to get to it. Let's have a chat with our friend in Fort Collins, Colorado. Let's talk to Aaron Youngberg here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Aaron, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. Tell me about your studio, which is called Swing Fingers, and where you're located. And tell me all about the studio. Sure. It is a Swing Fingers Recording Studios. It's located in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are located actually a little bit west of town, up in the foothills uh, next to uh, Horsetooth Reservoir and Horsetooth Mountain Park. So it's uh, it's up in the up in the mountains. We don't have any uh, food delivery services or things of the like. So you gotta when people come here to tr- record and track and mix, they just kind of essentially move in for the time that you're, that they're here and. We have a communal meals and um, that kind of family gathering kind of vibe. The studio is set up in, let's uh, see, there's four rooms, including the control room. Uh, the tracking space is set up, uh, there's a large live room with a tall vaulted, uh, like 18 foot vaulted ceilings with exposed trusses. And then there's two smaller isolation rooms of different sizes. The smallest I qualified as like an oversized vocal booth size. Mm-hmm. The other room, I say it's great for upright bass. So it has a, it's <laughs> meaning that it's large enough to capture some of the lower frequencies, you know, big enough to feel like you can wave your arms around if you need to. When people come up there, they're there to stay. Essentially, I don't describe it as a destination studio, but um, it kind of ends up that way often. People do go back and forth from Fort Collins, we're about 25 minutes, but I get a lot of clients in from out of the area, a lot of uh, Airbnbs that are booked around the area. And um, and again, they, they stop by the the local grocery stores or Whole Foods and they come prepared and, um, and we have a separate refrigerator to make enough space for everybody to put their goods, a big coffee maker and a water kettle. And yeah, they come in, and they, uh, they hang out for the a lot of time. Tell me about the planning of all this. Where, how did you arrive at this state where you have this great place, a little bit off the beaten path? You know, the listeners can't see it, but just from your your webcam, I can tell that you've put some effort into this. And I have looked at the website, and the pictures also can show that. But tell me about this. How did how did you get at this point? Well, it was a slow progression um so i guess to qualify it even further um i do i live here so it is uh i live it is attached to the house so how i arrived here is that i bought the house uh 18 years ago i like to say that i'm a musician first and an engineer second so when i moved into this house i was on the road a bunch playing in bands and i still tour a fair amount um and I just got into recording mostly for um, kind of practice purposes because I wanted to be able to uh, practice along with, um, you know, guitar rhythm tracks and that kind of stuff. And so eventually I had an interface that could record four microphones. And I said, hey, four microphones. I have three other friends I could invite over. So um, I uh, put up four microphones, uh, one in front of me and three of, in front of three other friends. And we would just, uh, you know, track for fun. And then eventually um, somebody said, hey, I didn't like my solo very much. I want to redo my solo. And and at that point, I had had plenty of studio experience uh, recording in other studios, professional studios. So I decided, well, yeah, let's figure out how to how to punch in. So I um, opened up the manual and, uh, you know, about an hour later, I figured out how to do it, sort of. And so it's kind of like one step at a time. And eventually 
that four channel interface turned into uh, more channels and more microphones. And then I had some friends that wanted to record their first CD and uh, they talked to me about it. And I was like, well, hey, I can record and I can now overdub and punch and let's, uh, let's try this together. And so I had no official like studio space at the time. It was just uh, an oversized bedroom where I put up my computer and monitors and I spread people throughout the house for isolation. Everyone had the same headphone mix, including myself. (laughs) And that turned out pretty well. Eventually learned how to mix along the way. And slowly but surely I built the first, the two isolation rooms I built first. uh, That was part of the classic two car garage that was never used for parking. It was used for just storing crap everywhere. And so we built uh, two isolation rooms and um, I designed them myself, but I did my due diligence in understanding something about studio construction and having isolated walls and separate stud systems and multiple layers of drywall. A friend of mine, a musician friend of mine helped me build that while I held the dumb end of the measuring stick. And so with those two rooms, I was able to uh, get more isolation and kind of expanded and that kind of gave me a little bit of a little bit of, uh, I don't know, confidence, I guess, that, hey, I could, I could actually maybe do this a little bit. From that first project, I remember I bought my first, um, from what essentially the money they gave me, I was able to buy my first decent microphone. By say decent, I mean like $500 microphone. And my first uh, standalone preamp was a Grace 101. You're in Colorado. Of course you're going to buy a Grace. Exactly. It's a, a plug <laughs> for my friends down there, a Grace. And I was able to actually, I remember I was actually able to use that that uh, signal chain for the last overdub of that project. And I remember thinking like, wow, that sounds so much better than everything else I just recorded. <laughs> so um, anyways, that kind of got me, got the bug going for me to continue to acquire more gear and better gear. And like I said, I expanded the first iso- uh, the first two isolation rooms and the rest of the garage was still just garage space. And then eventually roughly five years, four years after that, uh, we finished off the rest of the garage space to the the tracking space, the large live room. And we left the ceilings vaulted with the exposed trusses because that's how it was as a garage. Again, put my due diligence in and designing the space for sound purposes and no parallel surfaces and no 90 degree angles, or at least minimum of those, of those aspects and continued forward with that, uh, for another four years, three years, I'm kind of guessing at this time frame. And then all this while my control room was still in kind of in the house, in that what essentially is a bedroom, was a bedroom. And I wanted to up the ante a little bit more. I wanted a kind of an official real control room to spread out my gear. And my wife joked that it looked like I was landing the space shuttle every time I would go in there, go in there to work because of all the knobs and lights I had around me and in close proximity. <laughs> I'm eternally grateful to my friend David Glasser at Airshow Mastering, he uh, recommended Sam Burkow, who's a good friend of his, to to design my control room. And he put us in touch via email, and Sam was generous enough to to take on the project. It was a pretty small project for him, but he uh, did a great job. And um, we built an addition on to the structure uh, for... Uh, the control room, which ended up being roughly about a 500 square foot control room. And that's how the studio expanded out uh, from what was a two-car garage uh, into now a a fairly good size uh, tracking space plus control room. For the listener, uh, David Glasser is a a former WCA guest. He's on episode 151 if you want to go back in time and check that out. 
Tell me about the process of working with uh, Sam Burkow. It was uh, it was great. He was in the area off and on for other projects after he had agreed to do the project. And all that was was a, a phone conversation, and he told a bunch of jokes, and I laughed. And he said, okay, great, we'll, we'll be talking. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so he came out, saw the studio on one of his uh, trips out here on, on, uh, for another project. It was actually during a, a session, and we took a break, and he kind of walked around, waved his arms around, commented on how beautiful it was out here and um, again told some other great stories and jokes then he went to uh, the drawing board and started sending me uh, some drawings of the design that he had in mind and we just kind of went back and forth with with ideas about uh, what we were looking for and then my general contractor to build the addition was my good friend uh, Glenn Zanke who's a musician here in Fort Collins and uh, he was definitely the right guy for the job to take on the detailed aspect of of building, following the blueprints and the plans of building a control room, because he was very he's very detail oriented himself and um, did a great job following all the all the ins and outs of um, Sam's requirements. And let's see, it took about eight months of construction. Sam, yeah, he did a great job. It was a it's fantastic. He, he nailed it. Were there any um, stressful moments of note during the process? I think with every construction, there's uh, stressful moments, right? I mean, just things like the door guy didn't understand the process of how to, the procedure, I should say, of how to order this, this specific uh, studio door. And of course, that was an exterior door. And in order to, I remember in order to pass the next phase of inspection for the for the for code purposes that door had to be installed precisely um and that door was back ordered for quite a while like um, six weeks maybe so that kind of stalled the project out until that door arrived and then we were able to proceed <laughs> i mean i guess it's not a little thing but things like that that just kind of made the project uh memorable but also um you know no no big deal it was it was all fine what's uh the distance between you and the next structure or neighbor it's pretty traditional neighborhood setup i guess uh these are quarter acre lots if i remember correctly so i could hit it with a baseball we're in a neighborhood but on all sides there are houses on the north south and east side of us but on the west side is all protected open space that will never be developed so there's the kind of wildlife aspect and the the serenity of of um being next to an area that provides space for wildlife but also there's neighborhoods and there's neighbors and there's dogs and there's engines and so i say that i'm just as interested in keeping the neighborhood noise out of the studio as i am in keeping the studio noise out of the neighborhood uh so i I don't wear wear out my welcome with my neighbors but really the only complaint i've ever received from my neighbors is that they since the studio has been built they can't hear the music as well as they used to that's that's a good problem to have that's a good problem to have exactly exactly your neighbors are, they didn't give you any shit over this. They did not. Nope. And I went around and got, kind of told them what I was up to and they're all, they're all fine with it. I don't really advertise anywhere that this is, that this location is a studio just for security reasons. But yeah, it's pretty typical response when people walk into to this part of the structure. They're kind of blown away like, wow, I had no idea this is back here. It fits in with the scenery or with the surrounding area pretty well. And you wouldn't ever guess that it's a it is a recording studio. Can you give us a little advice on how to best approach neighbors with this kind of information, especially maybe if you're not that 
close to the neighbor? Maybe, maybe you know, you see them on the street, but you never really talk to them at length. <laughs> Do you have any suggestions on how to approach neighbors with this kind of thing? Not probably solid advice. Just, uh, <laughs> I would probably suggest you, I try to create a relationship first and then come up with an, in a later conversation and say, hey, this is what I'm up to, as opposed to saying, hey, you've never met me before. And by the way, this is what I'm up to. So at least you have a relationship to begin with. I don't know. I just, you know, employ your people skills and uh, be kind and generous to your neighbors. <laughs> and, and your salesmanship, too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we always talk about work-life balance here yeah. on the show, but I'm curious about uh, how about build life balance with the wife? Like, what were her thoughts on this? What kind of conversations did you have leading up to this? Yeah, she's a, my wife is also a musician. And so she was very, I'm very blessed with having a very supportive wife. She was all for it. She's always been very supportive of the studio. She also kind of, what she gained out of the new control room building was she kind of gained a, a house, a room back in the house <laughs> because the old control room now has become, been absorbed back, uh, somewhat back into the house. Occasionally I use it as an isolation room if I need to, but not, not very often because <laughs> it's still wired up. I can still put an amp in there if I need to. She's been great about it. She loves the studio. Um, she's a, like I said, a musician herself. Um, we have two kids, uh, Ramona, who's a six-year-old, and Ophelia, who's a four-year-old. They're very interested in studio life and the clients that we have, and they usually make a studio appearance around uh, the hours of 5.30, Monday through Friday, when they arrive home, and uh, they come in and usually do a dance or make do something funny, and uh, it's a good way to uh, clear the air and kind of take a little take a little break and give the uh, the kids some attention. I couldn't imagine a better uh, support network than what I have with my wife and my family. Now, you're a, a bit of a distance from Fort Collins. So have, did you think through, like, if a session is rolling, what are all the things that you need to be prepared for? Uh, and, you know, like, I was just at Jackpot Studios in Portland and Larry, who, you know, Larry, it's Larry from Tape Op, Tape Op who yeah. uh, owns it. Yeah. And uh, he's just got it dialed. You know, you need batteries. They're there. You need picks. You need a phone charger. You need, oh, you need a hard drive or a, or a USB stick. They got, they have it all. It's yeah. like, it's there. So did you do any kind of prep to make sure that your clients didn't have the, oh shit moments? We forgot something. Um, I think across the, over the years, instead of throwing some things out, I've kept them like incomplete packs of guitar strings that are new. Like I, instead of throwing those all away, I was like, well, I'm just going to put that in this bin. And in the case that somebody needs a G string or a B string, I probably have that in this bin. Hard drive wise, I asked my clients to bring that, to supply that. I have thought about keeping that on hand, but I do a good enough backup that I'm pretty happy with how I do that. But that's cool that they supply hard drives for their clients. Well, they they sell them like they, they sell there's them. a little stack of them, and they're yeah. just in Sharpie written on the box. It says sixty five bucks for a one terabyte drive, and yeah, you know it's just like a lifesaver if you need that or you have a drive yeah. fail. Yeah, that's great. We do a lot of uh, acoustic music here, um, Americana mm -hmm. music. So just with myself being a musician and my wife being a musician, like my wife's an upright bass player, like we have. Like like a lot lots of other studios, like we have 
alternative instruments. So if, so if a guitar is super buzzy or, a, for example, an upright bass is not cutting the mustard tone-wise, it's like, well, hey, choose between these other three upright basses that we have if that all sound great. Or I'm trying to think of like, you know, if guitar cables go out, like we have guitar cables. I can't think of a situation where I wish that I lived closer to a 7-Eleven, for example. Um, <laughs> and, and in fact, I kind of joke that that's kind of um, a litmus test for me and, and the clients that I work with that if you're the type of person that as a that you appreciate wanting to be close to a 7-Eleven or needing something from Walmart quickly, I guess then it's probably something that somebody that I may not enjoy working with potentially. Maybe, maybe that's, maybe I'm incorrect about that, but I'm more of the opinion where, you know, let's come out, let's get away from all that crap and just um, hang out and make some history. To the extent that you're comfortable, can you talk about those that might want to duplicate what you've done here? What kind of cost do they need to be considerate of? The way that I've been able to finance uh, studio is um, through home equity line of credit, and that's essentially my exclusive way I've been able to um, to afford financing the studio. And that was just all stemmed from one decision I made when I was 21 years old, when um, all of us grandkids got a little bit of early inheritance from our grandma, and um, and there I was sitting on a little bit of money, and I was like, well. And I, I'm a my main my main instrument is I'm a banjo player. That's my main uh, my main instrument. And so I remember at the time thinking like, okay, man, I got this money. I could buy a sweet banjo for this amount of money. And yeah. I thought like, well, I kind of already have a sweet banjo. I mean, I could buy a better one, but I don't think a better one would really necessarily sound better. And I thought, well, you know what? I need I need a place to live in th- three months. My lease is up. And I saw a house for sale actually in Fort Collins and. I had no idea what a house cost at the time. And so I um, I just called the number and it was a Remax agency and somebody called me back and they said, well, hey, well, what are you looking for? I was like, well, I'm looking for a house. I have, I, had, I remember at the time I had three other roommates lined up to live with, but we didn't have a house yet. So I just said, well, I'm looking for a place to live in three months. And I have two, three of the roommates that uh, we've all agreed to live together. And so... She took me around town to see what was available, and I really had no idea what my what my budget was. Just thankfully, at that time, this house and another house on this block was was for sale. My dad was nice enough to to co-sign on my loan as a 21 year old. I remember looking at the two houses on the same block where I live now, and the realtor said, "Well, they're both the same price, both the same size, but this one comes with a washer and dryer, so it's a better deal." So I said, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> washer and dryer it is here it is let's buy that one <laughs> yeah so we made an offer and it was accepted and yeah that was like 18 years ago i think man that's an early age to buy a house i don't know if it's appropriate to say i'm proud of myself but i'm proud of myself for that decision at the time so what the one of the situations where i should say my past self uh helped out my future self a good a good bit <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah. That was a smart move. Yeah. It's, I, I'm, I'm glad you didn't buy a new banjo. Thanks. I didn't need a new banjo. So, but, <laughs> but I, I try to talk myself into it. That kind of lays out like, you know, your, your own personal situation of how you paid for it. But for those that are thinking, okay, well, I want to do the same thing. Uh, okay. may, maybe not, maybe not buy a house, but like, you know, you got to hire somebody like Sam, they draw up blueprints. Yeah. And then you got to hire a contractor and then, you know, whatever deal you got with them hourly or for the project or whatever. And then obviously you have your materials that could be a chunk of dough to, uh, 
to handle, like making all the decisions, like, do I need two layers of drywall versus three? You know, what kind of, how big of a space do we need? It's just kind of a leap of faith, I guess, financially. Um, I, my, the finances I put together for the construction project of the control room was 95% home equity line of credit. And then I had an, another 5%, let's say maybe 10% saved up in, uh, in cash. That cash went really fast. And I guess that kind of boils it down to brings it back to my um, my general contractor who you know has a who created the budget and I saw the the dollar amounts even before we even broke ground so I knew what I was looking at but of course financially those things those kind of projects can go over budget and so I just kind of had to figure factor in some of that and it was tight like when we got it all said and done it was very very tight financially in other words if we I was close to having to take money out of the home my home's uh, finances, like in terms of like grocery money, for example, in order to pay mm. for some of it. I mean, it was close. I didn't have to, thankfully. But that's that's kind of where I've always draw the line. Like I didn't want to, the studio ever to cost my family or um, my wife any concern about if we're going to be able to, for example, buy groceries or pay for this month's cell phone bill. So I guess going, going back to the question of like the, the plans of Sam and um, how how big to go with it, I just kind of said, kind of go as big as you can and let's see what it costs. And we went as big as we could with the control room until we started bumping into variances that we would have to appeal and we didn't have to, we didn't want to have to go through that process. And so we built it as big as we can in terms of on the plant on paper. And then my contractor put pen and paper to it in terms of budgeting and turned out to be like, okay, well that's, that's right on the threshold of acceptable in terms of finances. I don't know it's it's the, definitely the biggest uh, leap of faith I've ever done in my life financially, and I will say it's it's paying off definitely. And I really enjoy every minute I'm out in the in the studio working that much more because it gives me space to spread out and and it's air conditioned in a hot day like today. Air conditioning is the the key to all of it too. Yeah, like there's been a couple times where my wife and I've slept out in the studio because it was so hot sometimes um, in the oh, summer man. times. <laughs> Hey, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Audio-Technica. They help make the Working Class Audio podcast possible. You can find them at audio-technica.com. They, of course, offer headphones, microphones, turntables, turntable cartridges, as well as many accessories that you might need, like headphone replacement cables and headphone pads. The great thing is, is there's no hesitation required. If you see something you like, you can buy it right there on the website. So check them out, audio-technica.com. And thanks for supporting our friends at AT. Is the studio your main gig or do you, are there other gigs that you, you have besides recording? And I know you play as well. I kind of look at myself as a three-tiered full-time musician. So gigs, I play in a band called FY5. Uh, we, we play on the road, especially this time of year. Summertime is our busier time of year. And my wife also plays in the band, so we both go on the road for that. So that's one tier. I would say that makes up a third of my income. I also do banjo lessons, and that's roughly six to ten hours a week of work for me. So that usually happens mostly on Mondays with a couple lessons sprinkled throughout the week. Before I move on to the studio aspect, I've always deemed those two sources for a long time, I should say, as as the amount of money that I have to live on. 
So whatever I bring in for gigs and whatever I bring in for lessons, that was the amount of money that I had to live on. That's what I had to pay my mortgage with. That's what I pay my bills with, along with the help of my wife's work. And that's how we budgeted. For a long time, I never viewed the studio as a reliable source of income. <laughs> and, and that way, it made it kind of easy for any money that I brought in from the studio, I could essentially feel pretty comfortable with reinvesting that money straight back in the studio. Then roughly three years ago, or f maybe four years ago, I cut back on a day of my, back then I was teaching more uh, lessons, and I cut back on a day of teaching, so now I was only down to one day a week because I had more studio work, and I was having to uh, move the studio work uh, into like weekend days instead of being able to hang out with my family. I was having to then spend it in the studio, which, you know, isn't bad, but I, there needs to like, talk about balance family is a big part of my balance and it's a moving target to making sure that that, that balance is um is appropriate i cut back on one day of teaching and at that point i looked at the studio and i said okay studio now you're going to start giving me some money and um, i gave myself a small salary every month um, no matter how much work came in it was going to be the, the same amount of money so i could start to rely on that for household money and so that kind of changed my relationship with the studio such that i needed to make sure that i set aside X number of money per month first so that that money was going to the household and then the money on top of that was uh you know either to pay off some debt or invest in other aspects of the studio so i really treated the studio like it was financially completely separate than uh any other part of my income so now teaching isn't a third of my income it's more like i don't know a quarter of my income and then the studio makes up for the the rest so it's a third plus a quarter. I'm not very good with fractions. So whatever, the, <laughs> whatever that is. So you're, it's, it, you are diversifying a bit here. It's, it's, you know, music, teaching, studio. Within the confines of the studio, do you ever participate any, in any kind of recording in something other than music, voiceover work or anything like that? No, no. I just started volunteering at my, my daughter's school recording their podcast principal wanted to do a podcast and he caught wind that I have a studio. And so uh, I'm volunteering my time to record and edit their podcast. So I'm doing that. Uh, but other than that, everything I do has melody or beat to it. <laughs> Music related. How do people find out about what you're doing? Yeah, it's, it's the word of mouth thing, which I'm very thankful for. Yeah, I don't do, I can't say I do any advertising I haven't been very active or actually active at all on social media. Truth be told, I probably live more vicariously through my wife on social media than I really probably want to admit because whenever she's looking at her social media on her phone I, I'm, and if I'm ever walking by and I look over her shoulder and I'm like, hey, what, cl click on that, click on that. What, what are they doing? What are they doing? And what, what, hey, what, who's that? What's, what are they playing right there? What's going on? And she's like, go get your own Facebook. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. So I have yet to do a Facebook, but I um, I just started uh, Instagram a few weeks ago, and I'm trying my, to figure out the the nuts and bolts and etiquette of of uh, of that, which is kind of silly. I get I get more I don't get nervous, but I get this like take a deep breath every time before I hit the the post button. I'm like, okay, proofread three times. Okay, here it is. Is that the right is that the right color filter? Oh my god, I don't know. I should. Okay, here we go. Oh man, what are people gonna think? <laughs> So whatever, it's just, it's silly. I just kind of laugh at myself every time I do that. But uh, so I'm trying my hand at at social media a little bit. And it's just kind of more just to remind people that, hey, I'm, you may not see me very much, but I'm I'm still here, you know. I'm, I may be living under a pile of diapers and in the studio, but I'm still around working and doing things. And uh, for that aspect, I really appreciate some 
uh, social media to just kind of keep yourself relevant to a certain extent. Shout out to our friends over at Roswell Pro Audio, who not only help make the Working Class Audio podcast possible, but they make some incredible microphones at working class prices. So check them out. They're at roswellproaudio.com. And if you want to really help the cause, when you check out, there's a discount box. Make sure that you use the code WCA free ship when you're checking out and you'll get free shipping. And that'll let them know that you heard about them on Working Class Audio. That's roswellproaudio.com. Based on where you are now, what you've learned, and all the experiences that you've been through, if you were to look ahead, let's project, let's not go too far. Let's say five, 10 years at the most. What would you like to be different in five to 10 years based on your current situation? What would you like to see? How would, you, how would that look to you? What would be the shape of it? You know, that's a great question. And I don't have a quick response to that because, um, you know, I understand the from a business perspective, there's the five-year trajectory and a 10-year trajectory. And by looking in those terms, you can kind of move, make action plans to today that moves towards those steps. I don't, I guess I don't think in those terms. Um, I guess uh, continuing to work with higher levels of, um, well, here, here's, here's a, here's a compromise or a, a balance within, within clients that I don't, I don't want to give up. Meaning that I love working with clients that are down to earth, that are you know fun people to hang out with, and are also talented. But in, in my opinion, all that it's most important thing is just being a cool person, being somebody that's fun to talk to and joke around with. But at the same time, you know, of course, we're getting work done. In five years, maybe I want to work with continue that 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 projection of finding more clients that are of that same mentality and same talent level, if not, I mean, I, I think I work with very talented clients already. So I'm not saying that I need to work with higher level talent, but um, just making sure that I'm not sacrificing my principles as an individual and also as an audio engineer that, you know, likes to put my, my name's going on the record too. So I want to make sure that it's uh, something that I'm proud of as well. So yeah, I think I just want to stay the, I want to continue to stay the course and hopefully acquire uh, some cool new microphones between now and five and 10 years from now. In an ideal world, would you stop touring and just do the studio or would that is, is touring an integral part of who yeah, you are? Absolutely not. No, I, uh, again, back to balance. I'm the type of person that I, I think balance is very important. And the only way to figure out where your boundaries are is you got to kind of push those boundaries and, and then find, and then acknowledge when you've pushed it too far. And, uh, before I had the studio, I was on the road a lot, you know, playing more than 200 dates a year and plus travel dates. And guess what? That was, that was too much. I found that out. Um, and so I pulled back from that and started teaching more. Um, so anyways, not to go back into the, the story of all that, but I, I found my, I found my boundary with performing, um, on the road and that was too much. So, and I've, I've essentially pushed those boundaries with all three aspects of my of my uh, career, both with performing and with teaching and with studio. Like I've, I've gone to the extremes of too much in all three of those categories and I found them and I know what they look like. And so I now, I think I have a better chance of avoiding those extremes and I do not want to give up performing or touring for all studio work. 
as much as I love the studio, I love it a lot. Um, but I also like getting away from the studio and talking to other people and getting on stage and sound checking and performing and making people uh, smile from the stage. Also enjoy teaching and imparting my knowledge that people want to hear me talk about or, or demonstrate and you know make them smile in that in that aspect so i uh i have no desire to give up any one of my either teaching i don't have or performing or definitely not studio i have no desire to give up any of that i would imagine that the amount you tour or perform gives you kind of a leg up on other engineers because you definitely can empathize with the performer you know what a performer needs because you're actively doing it. I would agree with that. I know what I would need in those situations, situations being in the studio. I know what, what my, I would like my headphone mix to sound like. And I know what I think a good bass tone sounds like. And come to find out, I think a lot of people, a lot of my clients would agree with me that what they, what I think is also is considered to be good tone, they seem to also appreciate. And two, it just kind of like, it's just the, the time on the road and the time in the van and you know, there's certain types of jokes that are told in the van that um, aren't told elsewhere, and it's just sometimes it's fun to bring those van, the van, the van talk to the studio, and I feel like I can hang with the rest of them with anybody in terms of tour life discussions and um, you know whatever the the story may be. But also to be fair too to all to other engineers that may not perform. I mean, I I view live mixing, live audio engineering to be just as much of a performance. And whether that be doing monitors or front of house, and and I I really I really appreciate I, as as everyone does, but I I have a huge appreciation for um, audio live audio engineers that can make it sound great in a in a festival situation where they have literally have 15 minutes to set up the next band and line check, and then the band's being introduced, um, and they're they're gotta they gotta move fast and. There's parts of me that I really that are really I'm really attracted to that challenge and to that type of work. I, I do some live mixing, but uh, maybe not as much as I want to. But at the same time, I have to be careful what I ask for because I don't know how much time I have. I don't think I have any more time in my life to be able to devote to to um, to doing some, to getting into that, for example. <laughs> but um, I I just wanted to shout out to all the engineers that do the live mixing because that's a that's a challenge and um and truth be told there's musicians out there that come in off come in out of their van and they go show up to the venue and they treat the audio engineers not so nice and i don't appreciate that um and i know the audio engineers don't appreciate the, the guys at the clubs like that don't appreciate that and so i do my best to go in there and learn the front of house guy's name or gal's name and you know develop a rapport with them and um you know throw some microphone names around and that kind of stuff and making, try to let them know that I I also I also do what they do but they're worth every amount of appreciation and and honestly and I, this is one thing I love about our band is that at the end of every show we always thank the front of house or monitor person by name because they're the one um, putting up with all the uh, diva musicians and egotistical musicians and we say that with a tongue-in-cheek you know as a as a as a joke, but I mean, also it's somewhat true and they're the first ones to get there and the last ones to leave and they deserve, they being the audio engineers deserve a lot of uh, appreciation. It can be a very thankless job. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I, I share your respect, uh, for our live sound brothers and sisters that, uh, man, I, I couldn't do it. It's just not my, my, my jam. 
but I, but I have um, immense respect for those that do because it, it is hard. It's hard work. Well, uh, we're just about out of time. I do want to ask you, uh, is there anything that you do running, smoking pot, praying, uh, shopping on eBay? What what drives you? What what helps motivate you to the next project and, and keeping you uh, happy? Uh, it's funny. The first thing you said, running. Um, I do a lot of trail running. Um, I've been known to do some ultra marathons, um, in the past few years. And when I'm out there running, I don't listen to any music at all. I refuse to, I just like to be outside and the quiet of the outdoors. And, um, and particularly I want to stress trail running, not road running, because I don't like to get big old exhaust pipes of, uh, diesel, um, coal rolled in my, in my lungs, but specifically like outdoor type of like dirt trail running and it's I get a lot of pleasure and just stress relief and um, just alone time and I'm often thinking about the studio or projects I'm working on or a particular tone I wasn't happy about and a particular mix I'm working on and just kind of thinking through ideas or troubleshooting kind of routing issues that I want to work on and it's amazing how just by getting away and doing something completely different really frees up your mind I guess I kind of view running as my equivalent of like ping pong to um, the computer science or computer engineer guys that they supposedly have ping pong as their weight of problem solving um, in a, a Google or whoever the headquarters are that have played, they play ping pong. Well, mine, my equivalent of ping pong is running, I guess. <laughs> so um, that's what I do. I run. I don't know how you do it with the altitude there. Every time I come to Colorado, it takes me a couple days. I'm just kind of like, <sighs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you get used to it. A little bit out of breath. What do you do to keep yourself going? You do all this engineering work, and then you have this weekly podcast, and what do you do? I like walking this reservoir that we have here in town. Uh, it's about three miles. It's yeah. paved. A lot of, you know, variation in the uh, incline. Yeah. That that clears my head quite a bit and makes me feel more healthy. <laughs> makes me feel uh, not as guilty for sitting on my butt all the time. <laughs> Uh, right. But I I do that. I can, you know, I'm not a runner. You know, I just drugs are just not my thing and coffee, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah. Love the coffee. You know, so caffeine's a performance enhancing drug. It's been proven. It is. Well, I, I like it. I have to say. No, yeah, <laughs> I do too. I love it. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Well, and so. uh and one other thing, uh, I'm kind of getting a little off topic, but I was just listening to one of your episodes about you had the uh, your chiropractor on recently yeah we visited him yesterday yeah that's a it was a cool episode and and uh the, the point about you know or, or the point you just made about sitting on your butt all day makes you feel getting outside and exercising or walking makes you feel a little bit better about sitting on your butt all day and what i've found to help my to get off my butt and um kind of i think if i remember correctly the point that your chiropractor was making was uh you, whether you'd be sitting all day or standing all day if you have a standing desk if you do either one of those all day long it's 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 not healthy. You have to have, you have to have, have a dynamic kind of a motion in your routine. And, yeah. um, and so my approach to that has always been to, and I also get kind of an ear break at the same time is that when, when the band is in after tracking and, um, multiple takes and they're just listening through the takes, I'll pull up the take and then I'll hit play. And then I stand up and I walk, like I get out of the direct, direct sight of the, of the monitors and I'm just standing, I'm, st I'm still in the studio, but I'm standing out of the way and I'm just out of the presence of the of the uh the speakers blaring at me and I'm off my butt at least standing and then if I want to stretch or I want to just kind of swing my arms around I can do that and doing that throughout the course of a day in the studio you're able I find that I'm able to you know 
stand up, walk around, get the blood flowing a little bit more, that much more each day makes me feel that much, that much better. And I don't have any, any kind of territorial issues with my seat at the, at the console or at the, in the studio. Like if the client wants to come up there and sit there and hit the space bar, start and stop, that's totally fine by me. I'm, I'd rather be standing. <laughs> so I, that, that was a thought that I had uh, listening. That's a great tip is you want to make sure you're, don't be standing all day, don't be sitting all day, but try to find some kind of in between there. And I was thinking about my workflow and I was like, yeah, that's, I guess I kind of do that. Um, so if I could offer that tip to anybody. Uh, I think that's good. Once again, as you were talking about earlier, it's, you know, it's balance. It's like sitting all day, standing all day. Neither one is great. Yeah. So mix it up a bit. Yeah, definitely. Excuse the pun. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, uh, it's been great to have you on. I, I appreciate the time that you've taken uh, to talk to me. And uh, it's great to hear this story of, of your space and how you've developed it and where you're at today. And uh, where could people learn more about you? Uh, let's see. The website, uh, swingfingers.com is the name of the website. And then I'm going to try to remember my Instagram if they wanted to follow me. It is uh, swingfingers.recording. I think that's correct. Okay. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes. So listeners, be sure to check Aaron out on those locations. So, well, Aaron, uh, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks for chatting. And uh, I'll catch you later. Next time I'm in Colorado, if I can make my way up uh, up past Fort Collins, I will, uh, I'll look you up. Cool. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Cheers. See ya. Aaron Youngberg here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I want to encourage you to stop by our sponsors, the License Lab, Roswell Pro Audio, Audio Technica, Universal Audio, and Gearsluts.com, and uh, pay a visit. They help make the Working Class Audio Podcast possible. Also want to say thanks to our friend, Mr. Cliff Truesdale and Mr. Chuck Smith for their efforts on the show. And I want to thank you for stopping by. If you can, stop by Working Class Audio. Check us out there. Check us out on social media. Tell your friends. Tell all your friends, of course. And uh, until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.